0: Good morning. You doing well? Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, we are. Uh, we are. Gosh, like a month and a half into a series. Um, if you've been around Life Church for a little bit, that's not weird. Um, but we are. We've been talking about these gifts of the spirit and you might actually remember in fact we'll get it up on the screen for you that uh, there are nine gifts that Paul unpacks in this little passage of scripture nine gifts and we haven't necessarily been preaching them in the order that they're listed we've been preaching them in these three categories of three gifts each and so you can see there that there's the gifts of revelation You'll, you'll remember we talked about words of wisdom and words of knowledge and then discerning of spirits and then we talked about faith in fact we We took a few weeks to talk about faith because that's a big topic. That's a a hefty one. We're going to take a couple of weeks actually to talk about uh, two gifts right now. And uh, those are the gifts of miracles and healing. In fact, we're going to be talking about those subjects really today and also next Sunday. We'll tell you a little bit more about that, what you can expect next week in just a few uh, minutes, in in a little bit. Then you have the gifts of inspiration. These are how we are are inspired or or filled with the Holy Spirit or gifted by the Holy Spirit to inspire others through things like prophecy, tongues, and then also interpretation of tongues. We'll get to those in a few weeks as we start towards uh, wrapping up our series. Now, like I said, we talked about the gift of faith last week. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, This is something we've been sitting in with a little for a little while and uh, so now we can understand what faith is, what the gift of faith is. We're going to continue building onto that as we now talk about uh, uh, the gifts of healing and the gift of miracles as well. Uh, and by the way, I, I said something really specific there a moment ago. Uh, I, I, it might have sounded like I misspoke. We'll come back around to that in just a second. Uh, but there are, there's a specific pluralization that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Isn't that fun? We're going to talk about grammar today at church. Isn't that why you woke up and had some coffee and came to church today? So you could talk about grammar. Um, I do want to say one thing, though, is that as we talk about healing and miracles today, the, the gifts of healings and the gift of miracles, we are going to cover a lot of ground. My mom is here today. And she told me a couple weeks ago she really likes it when I preach slowly. <laughs> Mom, I'm going to try to honor that today, but I also have a lot of notes to cover. So can you give me a pass? She's shaking her head, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I ask permission, I'll, I'll, and then I'll apologize to you later. We'll talk about. will see how I do. Uh, let's begin by defining our terms. That's really what we've been doing at the front end of each of these messages during this series. Let's define some terms. Let's talk about the gifts of healings. Uh, the definition here would be that the gift of healings, or the gifts of healings, is actually the right way to say it. Is the supernatural releasing of healing power for curing all types of illnesses. Now, just because we're this far into the series, I think it's important that we remind you that every time we see that word supernatural, what we mean there is that this is a gift or an ability or a power that isn't uh, from your ability or power. This is given by the Holy Spirit to sons and daughters of the Most High God. These are Christian people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, which as Pentecostal four-square people here, we believe in the present active working of the Holy Spirit through gifts for Spirit-filled saved people. Uh, these are not you have superpowers. This is the Holy Spirit is using you as a partner to minister in the world, right? We also are reminded as we read definitions like this that these gifts are not for our benefit, although certainly we do benefit, but the ultimate goal, Paul tells us, is that these gifts are given for everyone's benefit, to build up the church and to be a witness into the world about the goodness of Jesus. Amen? Okay, so... With that said, let's keep uh, talking about this idea of healing. The Greek word that you see here for healing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 would be defined as to heal or to make whole, to cure. And interestingly, there's a caveat there that cure is either literal or figurative, which we'll talk about in a second. But again, it's to heal or to make whole. In fact, we have talked about healing here a lot in the last several months. We've done... uh, I I was looking back over my sermon notes because I thought, how many times? It's been like six times in the last year that we have talked about healing in different ways. Remember back in November, we did a a message that was calling us to remember things that God has said about this church, about Lancaster Foursquare Church. We call it Life Church now, but it's Lancaster Foursquare Church. And all the way back in the 70s, God gave us a word saying that we are to be a house of healing. Remember that? In November, we talked about what does it mean to be a house of healing, and we talked about how God wants to heal us holistically. God wants to do miraculous physical healings. God wants to heal our emotions and our mental state, and he also wants to heal us relationally, and through us, he wants to heal the world. And so we've talked about healing a lot, so we won't dig in too much into the definition of healing, but let me just give you very briefly a reminder that here at Life Church, and as we t- study scripture, we have found that healing happens in the kingdom of God over time. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's slower than we want it to be. Uh, but as people minister healing through means or methods that appear natural, and that take time, that actually can very often be an expression of healing in partnership with God. So you might think of things like counseling or medicine are expressions of healing, and ultimately we give credit to God for the wisdom that produces things like medicine and and counseling that is done uh, in a Christian setting that points people back to God. We also know that while healing happens over time, we also know that healing happens immediately. Immediately, uh, through prayer, in the name of Jesus, and uh, we call those kinds of healings, we call them miraculous healings, uh, uh, which we'll talk about miracles in just a moment. But this, by the way, is why, because uh, healing happening over time and also immediately, this is why we would understand now why this word is often translated plural. Healings, gifts of healings. Because there's multiple different kinds of problems in the world, right? I mean, you walked in with several of them. And you need multiple kinds of healing in your life over the course of your life and maybe even right now. And so it follows that if there are multiple kinds of sickness and multiple kinds of brokenness, that there would also be multiple gifts of healings so that's why we might translate that as plural. And you might be wondering, if you looked in your Bible, why it says gifts of healings. Like in the New King James, it translates gifts of healings. Uh, in the New Living Translation, it just says the gift of healing. And so it can kind of run the gamut. But if you really study what Paul is trying to communicate, ultimately what God is trying to communicate is that he wants us to be all, whole, completely healed. Ultimately, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, both long term and immediate healings are legitimate, but most often when you are referring to gifts of healings, scripture is actually speaking most often about instantaneous or miraculous healing. Jesus actually modeled this gift of healing throughout his entire ministry. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says Jesus continued going around all of the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing. Every disease and every sickness there's one translation that I think is actually a better kind of uh, a better translation of the original text there. It says he went around teaching and healing all kinds of or every kind of sickness. The implication there that Matthew wants us to understand is that there's never been a sickness that Jesus went i don't know what to do with that that's the point of that is Jesus models a kind of healing ministry that never uh, failed it never saw a sickness that it could not handle do you understand that we'll talk about the nuances of that over the next couple of weeks but luke actually offers a specific story if you were to look in luke's gospel in chapter 4 starting in verse 38 you see this story it says after jesus left the synagogue he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them, which was uh, not because Jesus was like, now make me a sandwich. It was it was just an evidence in the story that the healing was legitimate and complete. She was able to go back about the business that she wanted to do in that moment. Do you understand that? So Jesus models that he has both the power and also the desire to physically heal people. So the gift. Or gifts of healings is, you could say, the supernatural ability to minister healing to other humans. That's the healing gift. Now we can turn our attention to miracles. Because now it maybe broaden out our perspective a little bit. You might be able to say that miracles would be the umbrella term that covers gifts like healing. And then also every other way that God engages the world supernaturally. So healings is about your body, and miracles is about everything else. You understand? Uh, David Lim wrote a book called Spiritual Gifts. I've quoted from this book during this series a few times, and in this, he says that miracles are deeds of supernatural power that alter the normal course of nature. They include divine acts in which God's kingdom is manifested against Satan and evil spirits. Uh, The devil is real. He hates you and he works against you. And any time that God intervenes in the natural flow of things, we call that miraculous intervention. We just maybe would call that a miracle, right? And God is doing that kind of stuff all the time. In fact, I think God is is, is engaging the world miraculously in ways that we don't even realize it. The gift of miracles is exactly what it sounds like. It is the ability by the Holy Spirit or given by the Holy Spirit to perform deeds of supernatural power that alter the normal course of nature. Again, this is not because you're a super Christian. It's because the Holy Spirit decides to give you the gift of miracles. He gets to decide. He's a real person. He's completely God. So he has all the authority to decide, and he has the will and the personality to decide, and he's smart enough to know when and if you need the gift of miracles. So our job is to trust him, not to brag about how we did a miracle. By the way, that's a surefire way to have God not want to partner with you anymore. But Miracles are all over Scripture, right? They're all over. In fact, miracles are seen in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament which is really uh, amazing. You should read the Old Testament just as much as you read the New. Did you know that throughout both Testaments, there are 163 miracles clearly described in Scripture? 83 of them in the Old Testament, 80 in the New Testament. I'll just remind you of a couple of examples of miracles just in the New Testament alone. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus turning water into wine. That's a fun story. Jesus likes to party. We see 12 distinct stories in the Gospels of, cast, of demons being cast out of people. In Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 12, and in Acts chapter 16, we see apostles being released from wrongful imprisonment. Which, just as a side note, if you... Wherever rightfully imprisoned, don't expect an angel to show up and release you from that. This was a different kind of story. But in Acts 5 and 12, angels showed up and released these people who were wrongfully imprisoned for just preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, an earthquake. Helped a guy get out of prison. Another example is raising the dead. Five different people were raised from the dead just in the New Testament by either Jesus or the apostles that we have recorded. So you would, you would imply that more people have been raised from the dead than just the people who were written about in the New Testament. But in Luke chapter 7, there's the son of a widow who it says Jesus actually raised this guy from the dead on the way to his own funeral. Okay. Uh, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead by Jesus in Luke 8. Lazarus, after several days, so much so that his own sister said, Lord, he stinketh. Right? That story's in John chapter 11. Uh, Tabitha was raised by Peter in Acts chapter 9, uh, proving to us already by the time we get into Acts that that the raising of the dead was a miracle that was not exclusive just to Christ. You deal with that how you will, but that's in the Bible. In Acts chapter 20, Eutychus was raised from the dead by Paul in the middle of a very long sermon. In fact, the story goes like this. Paul is preaching all the way into the night, and this kid is sitting in a window, and he falls asleep. Which I've never experienced anyone do while I've been preaching, ever. But that might also be why we don't have windows for you to sit next to in this room. This kid falls out of the window and dies Paul goes down and raises him from the dead. Then they have dinner. And then Paul goes back to preaching. It says for a long time. Paul was like, oh, that fired me up. I've got more to say. So he filled his belly, and then he kept on preaching. The point is, miracles happen all over the Bible. That's just cherry-picking just a few stories out of Scripture and just out of the New Testament for us to see that miracles are all over the Bible and can we just say let's just say this so that we can remember the greatest miracle of all is one that you are experiencing right now and every single day if you're a Christian then you believe in the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus and that miracle has applied to your life it's changed your life and you now are sitting in a miracle every single day the greatest miracle ever is that you're a Christian You're spiritually alive, right? So we should celebrate, but but that also might begin to give you a hint. Just remember that you clapped about that for a minute because later on we're going to ask a question about whether or not miracles still happen. Just remember what you just clapped about, all right? Let's move on. Okay. The gift of miracles is not simply awareness that God does miracles, though. You could say that the gift of miracles is the supernatural power and authority given by the Holy Spirit to disciples of Jesus for performing miracles in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. It's a a supernatural ability given by who? By who? Man, I'm not a good teacher today. By the Holy Spirit... Okay, who gives the gifts? Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to help you out because I know where you got confused. Who sent the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Jesus. Right, okay, so Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like, I know you're just being, like, really good theologians, and you know that technically the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are all the same, so I'm going to give you a pass there. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do all of these gifts. Now, you say amen to that because you agree with that. Okay, good. All right. Now, Before the Holy Spirit was sent to the church, Jesus was giving this gift to his disciples. This is where I want to begin to build a case for you, that miracles are not just Jesus and and the superheroes of the faith. That's one of my goals in the rest of the time that I have with you today. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He says some other things, but it goes on down. If you skip down to verse 6, it says, So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Now, just for the record, it doesn't say healing everyone. It just says healing everywhere. So that means that wherever the disciples went on this mission, somebody was healed everywhere that they went. Now, later on, Jesus actually says, just a couple chapters later, you see that Jesus sends out 72 of his followers on a similar mission. And then it says in in Luke 10, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus' response for the record is, that's awesome, but celebrate more that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus is always about the most important priority, even though he also will release us to perform miracles right? Now, I want you to notice something from just from this brief look at a couple of stories. Notice how healings and miracles go hand in hand, right? The disciples were given power, so they went around doing what? Healing the sick and casting out demons. That's miraculous, and that's healing. So both gifts are connected also to proclaiming one thing. He says, go tell people the kingdom of God is at hand, Go tell people about the kingdom of God and then demonstrate the kingdom of God through healing. It says people were healed everywhere that they went. And through casting out demons, through doing miracles. The 72 came back and said, it worked! Right? So both gifts connected to proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's incredibly important as we start to ask questions like, uh, how do we actually do this sort of thing? So again, gifts of healings and miracles are the outward expressions of the power of love of God, of the love of God through us, for us, to other people. And we do this through the ministry of being disciples of Jesus in the world and telling people about it and then showing people the love and the power of Jesus in the world. Jesus sends us on this mission. Okay, you still with me? I've given you some definitions. I tried my best not to get carried away and preach too much. Just gave you some definitions. Now, Mom, are we all right? Am I talking too fast? I'm, I'm good. She says I'm good. All right. So now I want to answer for you three of what I think are among the most, if not the most common asked questions when we talk about things like gifts of healings and the gift of miracles. The first question that I, I think comes up a lot It's theologically debated all over the place. would be the question, are they really needed? This is another way of asking the question, are miracles still for today? This is a theological debate that people have had. And I just want to tell you that I'm not going to go too far into the weeds on this theological debate. Um, But can I just tell you that uh, the, the answer to this question can be wrapped up in three phases. Y. E. Yes. That's it. Next question. No, we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper. Jesus did actually make this really, really clear. Think about, and he did this in a number of times. We'll just look at one right now as an example. Think about some of the last words that Jesus ever said. You might know them as something called the Great Commission. The last words that Jesus ever said on earth before ascending to the right hand of the Father, he gave us the Great Commission. Mark, interestingly enough, chooses to record the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16 like this. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. If you've heard the Great Commission, that sounds really familiar, right? Go preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, period. Now, most of us would just end Mark right there because the next thing gets a little... Some of us feel like that gets a little weird, a little challenging. The next thing that he says is, these signs will accompany those who believe. Pause. He's saying, if you go out and preach the gospel to all creation, those who believe and get baptized, these signs will accompany them. He's not saying they'll accompany you as you preach. He's saying those who believe, which automatically means that the signs that he's about to list most likely, what he's saying is these are signs that are available to all who believe, not just all who are apostles. Okay? Now, do you believe? Remember that remember the thing that you clapped about a few minutes ago? Okay. So these are the signs. In my name, they, who's they? Those who believe. They will drive out demons. We classified that as a miracle a few minutes ago. They will speak in new tongues. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. They will pick up snakes. I'll give you a preface about that in a second. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Remember, they in this context is those who believe and are baptized. If, if that's not what it meant, it would have said, these signs will follow you as you go and preach. So we have to believe. Are these, are these really still for today? Are these really still necessary or needed gifts? Well, yeah, Jesus told us that gifts should accompany our preaching of the gospel. Now, just a point of clarity here. Uh, Jesus was not inviting his disciples to run around with snakes in order to prove just how good of a Christian that we are. It's, I, I don't recommend it. What he was teaching here was he, he's pulling out a couple of, like, examples that they would have understood in their context and in their culture. And, and he was saying, look, if you, get, if you get bit by a snake, don't worry about it if you have the kind of faith that would produce the kinds of signs and wonders that I'm talking about. He's not talking so much about snakes as he's talking about your faith. He's not talking about poison so much as he's talking about your expectancy that God will do what he said he would do, move in power in and through the lives of his disciples. Right? So, God's not inviting you to go pick up a snake so you know if your faith is strong. He's inviting you to believe him that no matter what happens, even the craziest scenario, like picking up a snake and drinking poison on accident, that God is a God of miracles, And that miracles and healings are the kinds of signs that will follow those who believe. Now, I have a question for you. What do you think that it might mean that healing and miracles and speaking in tongues are listed in the same command as preaching the gospel and baptizing believers? I think you probably know the answer to this by now. But I would propose to you that it means that being a Christian should produce all five of these elements of kingdom living. Now, let me be clear. I'm going to step away from the pulpit for a second and just tell you. Tim is not about to tell you that if you have never laid hands on the sick and seen them healed, that you're not a Christian. What I am about to tell you, though, is that if you are a Christian, you have every reason to expect that if you lay hands on the sick, you would see them healed. You see the distinction there? So don't take what I'm about to say as like shame or condemnation. Remember we talked about last week when we were talking about faith. Romans 8, one says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if what I'm about to say makes you feel like a bad Christian because you've never done the thing I'm about to say you should expect that you can do because you're a Christian, wipe bad off of the board. Wipe condemnation completely off the board. That's not applied to you if you are in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to be pushed, nudged, pulled, maybe even dragging, kicking, and screaming so that your faith will grow. And it doesn't mean that there aren't times where Jesus would look at his own disciples and say, why is your faith so small. That's not an insult. That's an invitation. And when Jesus says you're immature, don't be offended. Grow. Right? Okay, so I propose to you that these five things were listed all in what we call the Great Commission because Jesus expects all five of them to To be seen regularly in the life of the modern day disciple, we should, number one, preach the good news about Jesus. Some of you are already feeling like that condemnation is about to get put on the board because you go to work and you don't tell anybody about Jesus. You live in a neighborhood and you don't tell anybody about Jesus. You're not a preacher and so you're pretty sure that you don't tell anybody about Jesus. Well, start. Number two, baptize all who believe. And if you've never literally physically baptized a person, come celebrate with us next Sunday because a young person in our church said, I believe and I want to get baptized. So come and celebrate that with us and be a part of baptizing somebody who believes. Baptizing, especially if you read uh, the, Ma- the Matthew Great Commission translation, uh, baptizing them comes right along with helping a person be a disciple who knows how to go and make other disciples. So what we're being taught here is that Jesus has an expectation that you share the gospel and that you help people grow up in their faith. And then number three, pray for the sick to be healed. This should be something you do. What does that mean? When you see a sick person, you would offer to pray for them. We'll talk about that practically in just a minute. Pray for miracles is the fourth thing that God actually expects would be seen in your life. And I can think of a number of times in my own life where I worked so hard to work something out, and it didn't work out, and then God goes, why don't you ask me for it? And I go, oh yeah, I'm like, I'm like a pastor. You'd think I would have figured that out by now. I wonder what it would look like in our church if the first person we asked for help was God. Just saying, just just proposing an idea. Fifth, we'll talk about this uh, in a future sermon. But uh, the fifth thing that God, Jesus, seems to expect to be present in the life of the New Testament believer is praying in a heavenly language, praying in tongues. Again, we'll talk. If you have questions, you, you probably have like a massive question mark just went up for you. What in the world is that? We'll talk about that. Just come, keep coming to church. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, all right? But here's the point Jesus did not tell his disciples to go and talk about the kingdom, he commanded us to demonstrate the power of God right along with our teaching. There's a lot of places, and and even this church, we've been guilty of this at times. We're just standing and talk about God, and what we fail at is demonstrating the power of God. I was just having a conversation with some friends last night about the future of the church, and we were thinking, I wonder how God is going to work that out. And one of our friends was sitting in that conversation, and he does what he always does when he's in conversations like that. He goes, maybe we should just trust that God will take care of it. Duh. Duh. Have you you picked up on the point I'm trying to make for you yet? Miracles still happen because Jesus expects them to still happen. So the question isn't, are miracles still for today? The question is, are you partnering with God's purpose for today? That's actually the question, isn't it? All right, let's, let's, let's move forward a little bit because I, I think another question, uh, maybe a, a, a second question, someone would, would hear everything that I've said so far and they go, cool, okay, great. So I guess they're possible today, but are they really needed today? And again, we would just say, yes, absolutely. I mean, have you seen America? Have you looked in the mirror? Do you know you and your family? Yeah, we need miracles And we need healing. We need the power of God desperately. And and I would just like to say, can we just be clear? We don't need the power of God more today than we needed God's power in 2019. I think, praise God, we're just more aware of it now. The question is, will our uh, will our obedience to the power of God, to minister the power of God, actually match our awareness that we are in great pain? Because what, what I'm hearing a lot of is a lot of Christians saying, man, I'm just in pain. Everything is hard right now. I'm hurting. It's hard to be a Christian. I, I don't know have answers to all of the questions. What I'm not hearing is God has all the answers. I have peace that passes understanding. Let's stop and pray until we get an answer. Let's lay hands on the sick and see them get healed. And I think God is doing something in this church in this season as we've been going through this series. Is he is elevating our faith, our expectancy to see miraculous things happen. And in fact, God has been giving us little hints that he wants us to lean into the miraculous because we haven't even talked about this point about healings and miracles until today. And we've already seen multiple healings and miracles just while we were preaching this series. Before even Like God is doing stuff we haven't even had a chance to explain yet. That's fun. All of this is an invitation. Do you believe? The question is not, will God do it? The answer is always yes. The question is not, uh, is it really needed? The question is, are you partnering? Miracles have never not been needed. There'll be a time in the future when they won't be needed anymore, but they are currently needed so much. I I would go so far as to say that to, to claim That miracles are not needed. That all you need is just to preach the word of God. Miracles are not needed. You don't need to demonstrate the power of God. I I would say that that actually is quite an unloving thing to say. We're not called to minister to broken and sick people just the words and then ignore their physical needs. Jesus didn't do that. So why would we? Why would we give the world half of the love that Jesus has given to us? Miracles and healings point to the love of Jesus. They point to the authority of Jesus, and they point to the power of Jesus. We need all three of those things desperately right now. I, I love what um, what Luke says about the early days of the church. There's this phrase that he uses, wonders and signs. We, we often refer to miracles and healings as signs and wonders. And, and Luke described the first days of the, the church In Acts chapter 2, he says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, uh, by the way, um, why do you think that it said the miracles, signs, and wonders were being performed through the apostles during that? Uh, Because this is a pushback. They go, see, miracles are only supposed to be done by the apostles. Well, this is Acts chapter 2. This is still like days after 3,000 people got saved. The apostles haven't had time to teach these people yet, so they're doing the miracles. They're demonstrating the miraculous, and then they'll teach it, and then they'll release this to the church, right? Miracles and healings are signs of God's love and power designed to lead people in awe and wonder towards Jesus. So to to leave miracles and and, and healings off of the table of our ministry is to say, we don't actually want you to experience the fullness of the love of God. I know that's not your heart, so let's go pray for some people to get healed. Maybe, maybe I'll just say it to you this way. If someone, if someone tells you that God does not do miracles anymore, ask them this question in response. What is it about God and the state of the world that tells you that God doesn't think people should know that he's all-powerful? Like, what is it about coronavirus that made you feel like God doesn't want people to know that he heals the sick? That's a real question, by the way. And and I think some people go, well, the reason I think that coronavirus is telling me that God doesn't heal the sick anymore, because if God really healed the sick, how could a global pandemic be possible? We'll get to that in just a second. But can I just tell you, God loves you, and he loves, like, everybody. And if you believe the gospel, then I think you have to also believe that God wants to demonstrate his love through power. The power of resurrection that got you saved, and through the power to heal, and the power to do miracles. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move forward to another question that I think is often asked as we talk about healings and miracles, and, and that's the question, fine, I believe you that miracles are possible. I believe you that they're needed today, and so it's a good expression of the love of God if miracles and, and healing is prayed for, but the second question that comes up is, what happens if I pray and nothing happens? But Another, people, another way people phrase that question is, what if it doesn't work? What if I pray for healing and, and I fail, right? That's a common question, it's a common, especially in circles where we've already settled that miracles are for today and healing is for today, and then we go, but I prayed for the sick and they weren't healed, so what do you do with the fact that it didn't work? Super common question. And I'll offer a few brief explanations today. We'll talk about this actually next week. This is going to be the subject of my message next week. But James is going to help us just to kind of uh, grease the gears a little bit. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, just from here, I, I just want to take a couple of possible reasons why a miracle didn't happen the way that you thought it was supposed to happen, or three possible reasons why healing didn't go the way that you prayed that it would go. Remember, no condemnation, but we do have to be honest about some places where we need to mature, right? So if James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect, then one possible reason why a miracle or a healing doesn't happen when we pray is a lack of righteousness, If the righteous person's prayer gets a lot done, then maybe it's that there's a lack of righteousness in that situation. Now, I want to explain to you that our own sin, our own refusal to honor God, to do what we know we should do, or or our, our consistency in doing something we know that we should not do, we call those things sin. Those things can get in the way of prayer for healing and miracles. And so can the sin of the person we're praying for. I recognize that this is not a fun thing to talk about, but this is real. James says the righteous person's prayer gets a lot done. Now, remember, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but there's also no power for those who refuse to deal with their sin. And so what we're not saying is every single time you prayed for someone to be healed and they weren't healed or every single time you prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen the way that you wanted it to, oh, it's definitely because you have a sin issue in your life. I'm not saying that. Think of it more like a checklist. Consider it. Is it possible that there's a sin issue here that we need to talk about? And what's so good about the Holy Spirit is that he has a way of teaching us, of revealing these things to us in grace and love. He doesn't doesn't seek to uncover or embarrass or shame or give us guilt in any way, but he does want us to be honest about our sin issues. Because if that's what's getting in the way, you know how easy that is to resolve? Like, that's the easiest thing in the world. You just repent, and the grace of God will cover you. It's so easy. We make it such a big deal. Don't tell me that I've got a sin issue. You probably do. You know why? Because you're a human. So let's, let's learn to be more honest about that. Create safe spaces. Another reason Jesus talks about this one a lot is a lack of faith last week we, we talked about levels of maturity in our faith you remember on the whiteboard uh, that there might be things that you want to hope for but your faith hasn't matured to that level yet and so you need to grow your faith that doesn't mean that you're a bad christian it just means you have work to do so faith is not always the reason that a miracle or a healing does not happen but jesus points to it enough that we should also put that on the list is it that i just was there a faith issue here do you remember last week I told you a story about a guy that Paul healed and it said he perceived that he had faith for, to be healed? So it's interesting that the scriptures seem to teach us that faith can get in the way if it's maybe, maybe our lack of faith can get in the way for a miracle to happen. And maybe it's also the lack of faith in the person that needs the miracle. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's a completely different reason. But we should consider it. Now, again, I am not saying that that person that you prayed for that was sick, that didn't get healed the way that you wanted them to, and that they, and they died or they are still sick. I am not saying absolutely it's because you didn't have enough faith. If you would just get your act together, you bum, then they would get healed. So come on, just try harder. Clench the faith muscle harder. That's, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's possible, but ask the Holy Spirit. And if he teaches you that, then grow. Grow where he needs you to grow, right? And if you find out, man, you know what? I did not. My faith was not strong enough. That doesn't mean you're a failure. But maybe you can find a mentor and ask him, hey, teach me in the scripture. How can I grow my faith so that I can really believe that God would heal people or God would do miracles? Or how can I learn to grow my faith in the midst of God not giving me what he asked me for? Which, by the way, is what we'll talk about next Sunday. So let's move forward. The third reason why, one of the reasons why we don't see miracles and healing is because of God's sovereignty and greater purpose. I think as Pentecostals we forget this so often. It's probably one of the first things that we forget when we become spirit-filled people. Especially with some wonky teaching out there that says that we have like superpowers as super Christians because we've been super spirit-filled. And then now we can like tell God what to do and he has to obey us as if our, the law of the Holy Spirit's uh, prayer language that he's given us now supersedes God's ability to, you know, be God. We, we have to remember that God is still God and God sees things the way that we don't. Every single time that we pray, though, something happens. We have to settle this in our heart. Every single time that you have prayed to God, something has happened. But what that something is, is not necessarily up to you. David Lim in in that book, Spiritual Gifts, that I mentioned earlier, he says it is God's will to heal. Unless he has for the immediate time and circumstance a higher will. He goes on to say, for example, a person's salvation and spiritual development are ultimately of a higher value than physical healing. So what if you prayed for someone to be physically healed and they weren't physically healed? Well, God is sovereign. What if you prayed for someone, and they weren't physically healed, and you go, man, I know I have enough faith for that, because I prayed for somebody else, and they were physically healed. And and I know that there isn't a sin issue, because I've been in a relationship with with an accountability partner and mentors, and I confess sin, and I'm doing everything I can to live righteously before God, and I'm not performing. But genuinely, in my relationship with God, I can say, I don't think that it was sin or a lack of faith then the only place that I think that you can go to really is to say, then I choose to trust God. I choose to trust God. I choose to believe that God must have some kind of higher purpose. God is the healer and the miracle worker. God is. We are the prayers. God is the worker of miracles. Our responsibility is simply to pray, not to determine or to even debate the outcome, which can be hard which can be hard, especially for those of us right now thinking about that person that we've been praying for for a long time, and they haven't turned around yet. The miracle hasn't happened yet. The financial miracle we're waiting for, the physical healing that we're waiting for, and it hasn't happened yet. I can understand that that can be hard. But this is an invitation for us to sit with God in the waiting and to come back to him and say, Jesus, I trust you anyway. Would you tell me what is going on? What do I need to learn? And and part of our maturing in our faith is the ability to reconcile that our prayers do reach heaven. And that every single time we pray, something happens. But what happens is God's business. Our business is to pray and to submit. Our business is to pray and to release to trust. However God answers our prayers is always up to God. I heard a pastor one time ask the direct question, what do you do if you pray for a person and they definitely don't get healed? And the pastor simply says, I wait for God to send me another person to pray for, and then I pray. I wait for another opportunity, and then I pray. God's job is to heal. It's his decision. Okay. Now, we could talk about that a lot more. We'll talk, again, we'll talk a little bit more about these challenging issues next Sunday. But while we understand the question a little bit, what, is it, what does it mean when nothing happens? Really, something happens every single time, even if that something is in us or if it's in the person that we are praying for. Well, I think the most important question, we'll, we'll begin to wrap up on this question. The most important question is, how do you minister these gifts? We can get hung up, really, if you think about it, the first two questions... I don't want to be rude here. I want to be careful. But the first two questions are often used. I'm not saying this is why you ask the question. But they're often used as excuses not to pray for the sick or pray for miracles. So if we can push past all of that, then we ask the most important question. If I am going to choose to believe that miracles are for today and that they happen, that healing is for today and it happens, and I want to partner with God so that that might happen in and through my life, how in the world do we minister? How do we do it? I would say first you need to understand three things. Now, can I just, give, can I just tell you, this is, like a, this is practical stuff. This is super practical stuff. It's informed by Scripture, but I'm not going to necessarily quote Scripture for you in this section of this sermon. This is, let me just give you some practical advice from personal experience and wisdom I've gained from mentors. First, you need to understand three things. Number one, there is no formula. There is no formula. Think back to when Jesus sent his disciples out to minister. He sent them to heal and do miracles, but he didn't say, now let me sit you down and give you a lecture on how to do it. He didn't give them the lay hands on the sick for dummies book. There was no formula. He just said, go out and do it. And if anyone was going to ask, how do you do it? It would have been Peter, right? And he doesn't even do it. There's no question. They just go out. There's no formula if there was going to be a handbook the bible would have been the perfect place for it and yet god chooses to leave out the step-by-step for every scenario how to pray for healing and miracles uh for uh, you know the formula for guaranteed miracles is not found in scripture god chose to leave that out why do you think that is because you don't need a formula you need authority Jesus didn't send them out with a plan. He sent them out with a name. And they said, even the demons obey in the name of Jesus. And that's, by the way, just for the record, just for historical context, that's before the cross. So if there's something in your mind that says, well, you know, after the cross is different than before the cross. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever So when he does something before the cross, it works for us after the cross. Do you understand? Jesus doesn't send them out with a formula. He sends them out with a name. Uh, The second thing that you need to understand is that ministry is best learned by observation than practice. Observation, this is what's happening with the disciples. For a couple of years, they've been following Jesus around, watching him do crazy stuff, wild stuff, raising dead people. Curing sickness. One time they were on their way to a funeral procession. Jesus talks to a mom and is like, that dude's going to live again. One time, a bunch of people were really hungry after a conference. And Jesus fed them with one kid's happy meal. I mean, they've been observing crazy stuff for a couple of years now. And so Jesus doesn't give them a formula. He sends them out with authority, and then they just go and practice. They go and practice. I love that Jesus did this with them before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he makes intercession for the saints. Like Jesus is not here right now teaching us in bodily form how to go and do this. But he modeled it for them, and he modeled discipleship for us as well. Hey, observe. So what do you do? How do you learn how to lay hands on the sick or pray for miracles? You find people who know how to lay hands on the sick and know how to pray for miracles, and you watch them. You ask questions. By the way, in the world, we call this mentorship. In the kingdom, we call this discipleship. You watch. You ask questions. And you you practice. Can I just tell you that when you practice, you're going to mess up you're going to say weird stuff you're going to say silly stuff you're going to be wrong you're going to pray and it's not going to work the way that you thought and you don't think that god knew that when he gave the gifts you don't think that he thought man these people are going to go make a mess of course he knew that he made you he knows what you're capable he knows what you think he knows how goofy you are sometimes and yet he still trusts us with the keys to the kingdom so go practice go practice and that's a good word, by the way, because it takes the pressure. This isn't the game. Let God worry about the game. You practice. Right? Okay. So uh, we understand that ministry is learned by observation and then practice. The third thing that you need to understand is authority is gained by spending time with Jesus. I mean, come on. These guys were doing miracles. They're out there doing miracles. And do you remember the story where these? there's a couple of guys who are out there preaching the gospel, doing miracles? They got in some trouble. The Jewish leaders are like, hey, we don't really like you. Why don't you get out of town? Right? And they're like, sorry buddy, we gotta obey Jesus. They're doing miracles. All kinds of crazy stuff is happening. And then you know what was said about the apostles in the early days of the church? Said they knew they had been with Jesus because they were uneducated men. I mean, that's kind of a burn and a compliment at the same time. Like, these people are too dumb to be this smart. But you know what was showing? What was showing was Jesus on them. You've You clearly have spent time with God. Man, we show up to spiritual warfare and we haven't actually spent time with Jesus. You know the results of that? There's a story about that. A couple of guys who tried to go cast out a demon, they got beat up. How come it didn't work? You're not praying in the name of Jesus. You're not praying, fasting. You're not spending time with God. Authority is gained by spending time with Jesus. All right, now, can I make this super practical for you even further? How do you actually do it? Let me just give you uh, four ways for how you can actually do this thing. Number one, observe. If you see a person's need, seek God's will. Observe the needs. I mean, most of us aren't praying for the sick because we're not even paying attention to anybody other than ourselves. I know that sounded mean, but that's true. Observe. Keep your eyes open. Head on a swivel. You see a need, maybe you're the one to meet the need. But don't just observe the need. Observe what God is doing in the moment. Right? Ask. This is the second thing. Ask. Seek permission. First from God. So, God, can I go pray with this person? Can I go talk to them about the miracle that they need? Can, about the healing that they need? Ask. Ask God. And if he gives you the permission, the green light, yeah, I feel like God's not telling me not to go do that. Go ask their permission. Please. Please. Especially if you represent Life Church, please don't run around the Antelope Valley just forcing people to receive your prayers. Please, if you do, tell them a different church name that you go to. <laughs> but can I also tell you not only just ask permission to pray for them, ask what they're actually hoping God to do. Remember that faith thing? Find out what they have faith for, find out what they're asking God to do. Uh, how, will, how they answer will clarify their level of faith and also what they're actually wanting God to do for them in that moment. I, I read a book recently that was telling a story about some miracles. There was people on a missions trip in Brazil. They were flying down this river, and they were going to pray for a woman who had said, come and pray for me and my husband. She said, I'm blind in one eye. And so they got out of the boat, and they saw this woman, and she just had pus all over one of her eyes like it was infected and gross and swollen shut. And so they said, all right, we're going to pray for you. So they laid hands on her, and they began to pray, and it took a little while. In this instance, God said, keep on praying for this woman until you see the complete healing in her eye. And so they kept on praying and praying and praying, they said it was like 45 minutes later, all of the infection had gone away, and it was like fresh, pink, clear skin, and her eye was open, and they said, can you see out of your blind eye now? And she said, well, I'm so thankful that you prayed for that eye, but the blindness is actually in my other eye. And then they prayed for her, and just like that, that other eye received sight, and she could see now clearly out of both eyes. And then they prayed for her husband. He was immediately physically healed as well. It was a good idea if you had, like she said, will you pray for my blindness? If you just say, are you blind in one eye or both, sweetheart? And which one? Right? And then she would have said, I'm, I'm blind in this eye. And then we go, can maybe God do something about that nasty infection you have as well? She probably would have said yes. But it's just it's a funny story. It's a true story, but it's a funny story that illustrates to us. Ask There was a woman named Mary who came to our church when we were first planting. we were on the we were on the boulevard. And this woman named Mary came in an electric wheelchair, and she brought her sweet dog uh, to church with her as well. And uh, this woman was one of the sweetest people I have ever met in my life. And she was coming to the church for a few weeks. And then one day after church on a Sunday, I was just talking to some folks, you know, after church, how you do. And I was talking with her, and she pulled me over, and she said, Pastor Jim, I just want to tell you something. And I said, Mary, what's up? And she goes, I just wanted to say to you thank you for not leading a church where... When I wa- when I, she, I was going to say walked, when I came into the church, you didn't pounce on me and force me to receive prayer to get up out of this wheelchair. I thought, was it, well, that's an interesting thing that you said. Tell me more about that. She said, I've been to a lot of churches in the valley, and every single time I walk into a Pentecostal church, they do not let me leave until they pray for me to get up out of my wheelchair. And when I haven't, they've made me feel like I don't have enough faith and love Jesus. So I said, well, do you want to get out of the wheelchair? She's like, yeah, I I asked Jesus to get me out of this wheelchair every day. But it taught me a good lesson. I can partner with Mary's desire for God to heal her if I ask and build relationship with her. But I've become a weirdo and limit what God can actually do and made her feel unsafe and uncomfortable and unseen if I go, I'm forcing you to receive what I want for you relationship positions us to say let me ask you what do you want and together can we discover what god wants for you so ask ask god and ask the person that you want to pray for and then the third thing that you do once you cover all those bases pray I'm like, don't stand around all day, get to work, pray, ask God, pray in the name of Jesus, pray the prayer of faith, declare healing, declare demons to be cast out, declare miracles to happen in the name of Jesus. And know the difference between praying and speaking, by the way. You pray to God, you don't pray to demons. You speak to demons in the authority of Jesus, and you pray to God. You can speak to a sickness. You pray to God. You don't ask a sickness to leave. You tell it what to do in the authority of Jesus. You ask God. You see the difference? Know the difference between praying and speaking. But you pray in agreement with Scripture. Never pray something that you can't find agreement for in Scripture. And pray according to your level of faith. And then four, release and obey. I said this last week, but once you pray, you say in Jesus' name, amen. That word amen means let it be. Not only are you, I for me, when I say let it be, I say amen. Not only do I say, God, you let that be in your will. I I, I expect, I hope, I have faith for your will to be done. But I'm also saying, but I'm going to let that be. I'm also saying I choose to trust you. As much as I'm petitioning you, let it be, I'm trusting you, let it be. And it can be both of those things. But you release and you obey. And then you ask if anything has changed. If you're praying for healing, you say, Do you feel any different than you felt before we prayed? And if they say no, then you say, would you like us to continue to pray? And if they say no, then you say, okay, just so you know, I'm probably going to pray for you when I walk away, though. And if they say yes, pray! We make this so complicated. By the way, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in all of these things. If the Holy Spirit says... You're done. Pray one time and walk away. Bless him in the name of Jesus and and leave it. I'm going to do something with that. Then you pray one time and you walk away. You obey the Holy Spirit. You don't try to force God to do something that he's told you he's not going to do. You understand? Always follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you don't see immediate results, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you do see immediate results, I mean, by all means, throw a party. Celebrate. I mean, If they're comfortable with it, hug them dance a little bit. Why not? Shout. Give credit to Jesus. Tweet about it. Tell the world this is your opportunity to point other people to Jesus. Look at what God just did. Celebrate the miracle. Right? This is why I've been telling you miracles are happening all the time because as we celebrate the miracles that are, already happened, we're doing two things. We're giving God the credit that he deserves, and we're also helping you raise expectancy with your own, within your own heart and mind and life that maybe God would do even more miracles. I need a miracle. I want to hear a miracle story so that my faith would be elevated so that I can expect for miracles in my life. This is why it's important that when we see God do something, we celebrate what he's done. Amen? All right. I really, really need to wrap this thing up. So let me give you two final pro tips and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Final pro tip number one. Don't do anything you're not prepared to explain or teach. I tell our leadership team here at the church a lot, don't do anything you're not prepared to teach. Teaching happens when we point people to scripture. Explaining happens when we point people back to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If, if, If you can't teach it. Meaning, if you're not prepared to say, I believe that miracles happen because of the scriptures say, then don't do anything you're not prepared to teach. Don't do anything you're not prepared to explain, which explaining doesn't have to be scripture all the time. You can just say, you know what, this might be a little bit interesting or strange, but, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to pray for you today. What I'm getting at here is don't do that thing where you just run up to somebody and go, in Jesus' name be healed, and then walk away. There's no relationship in that. There's no discipleship in that. And I really believe there's no kingdom in that. Let's build relationships around people. Amen? Second, uh, and maybe more importantly, um, be strange but not weird. Be strange. The world should know that you're different. Because you believe in miracles. And when you pray for people, miracles happen. But the world shouldn't look at you and be turned off to the gospel because you're such a goofball. Or you're so rude about the way you say you tell people the truth. Be strange. By all means. Do signs and wonders. Leave people scratching their heads about what was different about that person. Leave people hungry for the kingdom of God because their life is different now because something strange and unusual from their perspective happened. But you know it's very common to do miracles in the kingdom of heaven. But don't be weird. Don't be the kind of person who forces stuff. Don't be the kind of person who does stuff and then doesn't point people back to the gospel. Never take credit for something you didn't do. Don't be a weirdo. Never uncover somebody. If God tells you something or you see something in somebody's life, never uncover them. Never be anything less than loving. You don't have that permission. But you are expected to be different, to be strange to ask God for the miracle when maybe nobody else around you would. Be strange. Don't be weird. I'm saying all these things to you today because I really, really, absolutely believe that God still does miracles and God still heals people. He still does it. We've seen it recently and I believe we're going to continue to see it. Not because we're trying to force anybody's hand or certainly not trying to force God's hand, but because what else are you going to do after you spend all this time talking about healing and miracles? How we're going to end this service today is we're going to give God an opportunity to heal some people and to do some miracles. And we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do a work in our lives. Now, I just want to remind you that if you are in a place and you're going, do I need healing today? That could cover your mental state, relationship in your life, your physical health, your emotional health, your spiritual health. Maybe you're sitting here going, you know what's broken in my life is my relationship with God. My relationship with God needs healing today. Then we're going to pray with you today. We're going to offer you a chance to pray with somebody about that today. Maybe you need a miracle and you go, how do I know if I need a miracle? Is there something that you would ask God for today that you can't otherwise accomplish? You need a miracle. You need God to intervene in the natural flow and nature and order of your life. You need a miracle. So today, we're going to ask some people to come. In fact, if I asked you before service today to be available to pray for some people after service, would you just begin to come right now? And just They're going to stand right up here in the front of the room. They're going to face you and just be ready to receive you for prayer. In just a moment... You're going to have an invitation to come and and pray, to be prayed for. Whether you need healing or a miracle or you need to give your life to Jesus today or you have questions about what in the world is this water baptism thing you've been talking about. Maybe you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've given your life to Jesus and you've never received the the gifts or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you today. These friends here are just ready to pray with you today. Before we do that, we're going to pray this prayer that we've been praying together at the end of every single service. And then when I say amen, when we say amen together, you're going to be dismissed from service. You can, you can leave if you're ready to leave. You can sit and pray. You can pray with each other. Or you can come up and receive prayer. And that's how we'll end our gathering today. Um, on that note, if you're physically able to, would you stand with me as we pray this closing prayer for th- this series together? It'll be on the screen here, and so we'll pray these words together. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love and for the gifts you pour out on your church. As we pursue the fullness of your presence and power, use us to be a gift to each other and also to those outside of your church. Be honored in and through our lives. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Spend some time in prayer today before you leave.